Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Well, like many episodes at this time of year, it is a year in review, but mine is much more than that. I think I owe it to you, to my loyal supporters and listeners, to know what I've been up to in the year and where CCBT is heading. That's the biggest question, actually, that I get asked is, why is CCBT not out there? I mean, 98% of my clients have hired one to three certified conditioning, so mostly positive reinforcement-based trainers. And why don't these trainers know it? Who are they learning from? What's, what's going on out there? So I have until now refrained from discussing the avenues I have pursued to get CCBT mainstream, partly, I guess, because I didn't maybe want to burn bridges. Maybe I just really didn't feel like talking about negative happenings and closed doors or, you know, I just didn't want to focus on that. Mostly, though, I think it was because I wanted to wrap my head around the industry. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to dive deeper into it and be confident that I have the educated opinion enough to come around to these conclusions. I find that diving deep and making educated decisions is not something that happens with the experts in the field. But I'm jumping ahead and you will soon learn that as we go through this episode. I begin with a rather interesting analogy that will put into perspective what's been going on. And then I get into the no holds barred on why you as a pet parent and professional in the industry may be struggling and are frustrated and are treated unfairly, and you're actually brainwashed, which of course hurts you and your dogs and your clients. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your Tell It Like It Is host and expert in canine cognitive behavioral therapy. Close your eyes, imagine a world where no one knows how to swim. They don't even know what it is. They don't even know what swimming is, but there's water all around them. And the people are really starting to explore it. So there emerge different people that offer lessons in shallow pools. They've become experts on wading, how to wade in the water. And their feet never really leave the bottom of the pool or maybe just a little bit for short periods. But people are really happy about this. And it's fun and it's positive and, and, and it's going really well. And they start to teach others how to teach waiting in a pool. And people become experts in waiting in a pool. That's what they call it. And it's been scientifically proven to be fun and healthy and beneficial and needed because there is water there. But because there's water there, there's also people who are drowning because not everyone has access to waiting pools and not everyone resonates with waiting and they need something more or maybe it just doesn't work for them. Or maybe they're told they must wade and they only can wade and this will prevent drowning. But it doesn't. It doesn't prevent drowning. This is a problem and it needs to be addressed. There must be a solution. So this girl comes along and she works with these people who, who they want to go into deeper water and they're struggling when they do so. And they're struggling to remain safe, but they can't help it. They're there. It's, it's where they live. It's, it's all around them. It's who they are. And so she works with these people and she discovers something that's called swimming. And she learned it simply from swimming with these people. And swimming proves to save thousands of lives. And not only that, it's fun and creative and healthy and brings people together and it's stimulating. 
It provides a wealth of opportunities for people to help other people and to make a real difference. People love it, but there are those people who are scared of it. It can't possibly be a good thing if the people who are leaders in the water industry, those who are experts in waiting, if they're not promoting or supporting it, well, does it really exist? Is it really there? Could it really be a good thing? So these people choose to remain in the waiting pools. And some are completely happy there. They don't find any problem with it. They know that there may be problems elsewhere, and they even see people drowning. But they're okay with where they are. Some people blame those people for not following the rules of waiting and for trying to find something different. And they say, oh, well, those people are drowning because it's their fault. They're going out there. Well, maybe those people that are drowning are just simply not exposed to the skills and tips they need in order to do that crazy thing called swimming. So some of these professionals and, and these waiting experts don't see the need for anything else and are fine with continuing to sell waiting pools and their waiting instruction. In fact, it's really beneficial to them. They're making a lot of money. Hmm, maybe they don't want that swimming thing to become popular. Others feel, hmm, maybe we should start learning more about it. So they create labs and scientific studies to discover how to advance from waiting to something bigger. They're not really sure what it is but they want to discover it. And while they're covering it in their labs and doing these scientific studies, one of the requirements is that one's feet must not leave the bottom of the pool, or at least not for very long. And it, if they do leave it, it can, it can only be for a few seconds, and, and they need to just quickly, quickly go back down there. And, and they definitely, definitely must keep themselves in an upright position. There's no going horizontal here because you will drown and because the skills of waiting don't allow you to do that. So therefore, it couldn't possibly be a good thing to do. So by virtue, these people never actually discover swimming and they'll continue to flail around in the shallow end of the pool. The girl approaches these professionals in these organizations with what she has discovered, tested and scientifically proven in the proper process for proving a method, but they refuse to acknowledge it. They see it as competition to waiting and a potential threat to their position as leaders in the water industry. They create all sorts of excuses to, to dismiss it. Some even claim or have researched this thing called swimming. And based on their research, they can confidently say it is simply an exaggerated form of waiting. Meanwhile, they've never really talked to the girl. They've never asked her. They've never looked into anything deeper than just the basics that she provides on social media and, and this type of thing. You know, pictures of people swimming. Oh no. Some are too scared or nervous to go into the deep end. Some simply see no point in it. And some want to learn this thing called swimming, but there's no way in hell they're going to learn it from this girl. Because really, who the hell is she to know anything about the water industry? So by refusing to explore swimming, they are preventing professionals who teach waiting and who have taken their waiting courses and, and who look to them for the most up-to-date information on water activities and methods. They prevent them from exploring swimming and they convince them that if they choose to go into that deep end and choose to try swimming, they will lose the support of all the waiting community and the organizations that promote waiting. They convince them that if they as the leaders do not know how to swim, then no one could possibly know how to swim. And in fact, swimming doesn't really exist. The girl finds it exhausting to keep swimming against the current, but she keeps doing it. Yet people every day continue to learn how to swim and they enjoy it and they benefit from it. 
It's making a splash in the water world industry. It's also making waves in the water world industry. The girl is gaining recognition as in con and is considered an expert in the water world industry. She has lots of supporters who she greatly appreciates. She has clients and there are experts who are open-minded and the media is really picking up on it. Lots of magazines and TV and podcasts and radios and they're all really interested in swimming and, and what it is and how they can get into it and how it's saving people's lives and making people happier. And yet so many people continue to drown. They continue to drown every single day because they're not provided with the skills and tools by the organizations and people that they're commonly looking to. Professioners are still only taught waiting and that is all they teach to the average water goer because they're convinced and scared and brainwashed. And if it doesn't meet their clients' needs, oh well, waiting is scientifically proven and that is that. As the girl continues to reach out, these professionals more and more shut her down. They're trying to drown her, but that's okay. She's got this one and she knows it. So before I continue and before I keep going, let's bring this back to the world of dog welfare and behavior. Obviously the professionals who teach it that I was referring to that teach waiting and that look to the mainstream waiting experts, those would be comparable to the dog trainers and dog behaviorists. And the ones who have no problem learning to swim because it's in their better interest and they want to learn something that works for them, well, those are the pet parents and those are my supporters. And then of course the industry leaders, well, that's the direction that this is going. I have a long list and it might surprise you of industry experts and organizations who are trying to drown out canine cognitive behavioral therapy. And these are considered leaders in the dog welfare and education industry, ones who promote themselves as being open-minded, collaborative, and progressive. I have spent a great deal of time and effort reaching out to these organizations. So I'm going to share with you just some of them, not all, because that's crazy. Uh, but I am going to share with you some of the ones that I've reached out to. It started a while ago, probably actually, um, if I look back on it, it would have been before this year, but I'm going to include him anyway. It's Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He's renowned for counter conditioning. He has lots of papers in journals. I reached out and a little did I know it was actually his team, which are regular positive reinforcement and conditioning trainers, probably some of them that you know. They speak at all the summits, you know, they're all the, the click group. Uh, they got back. I didn't realize I was talking to them. I thought I was actually talking to him. They got back, asked me a bunch of questions. I spent a lot of time answering their questions. They set me up for an interview with him without sending him any of this information. So anyway, he hops on and he tells me all about counter conditioning, what it is, exactly how it's done. So I sit there and I listen to, I mean, I already knew it, but in hindsight, it actually was really good for me to learn it from the professional because now I can confidently say that it is not what I do because that actually is one of the things that other people say, oh, you're just doing counter conditioning. No, no, I'm, I'm quite confident I'm not because I learned it from the pro. So once, once he stopped telling me what he was doing, he, he said, so why are we talking? So I, I gave him a quick lowdown and he said, oh yeah, 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 not, yeah, what you're doing. Yeah, that's nothing or it's gobbledygook or whatever. And that was the answer. Obviously that was upsetting to me, but what it did get me to do was realize, okay, I need to be able to 
approach these people and, and talk to, and realize that they're going to come up with almost any excuse in the book to dismiss what I do. I also got a lot of practice just being on podcasts. I was on a lot of podcasts and I look back on some of my earlier ones and compare them to my recent ones. It did encourage me to research other methods, research what they're doing, realize where their block is, why the difference in the methods, and just continue to really research what I do and what is out there and to really, really understand my industry, which I've done and I'm confident on it. And it was amazing. It was actually a really amazing journey. And I met some really interesting and professional people on the way. So that was sort of the beginning of the journey. And in hindsight, I probably could have said right there, okay, well, this industry is just not going to be in my favor. So I'm going to stop it here, which may have been more productive, but I wouldn't have learned everything I learned about the industry. So another one that I reached out to is called NOMVI. It's a nonprofit. It stands for Not One More Vet, started by a veterinarian who was very emotionally upset by the number of veterinarians that are so stressed out from the industry that they commit suicide. So it provides emotional support for them. And one might say, okay, well, how, how is dog training method correlative to this? Well, a lot of vets refer me and they refer me because I prevent them from having to euthanize for behavioral reasons. And also it allows them to provide answers to their clients to, to say, hey, you know, maybe they will go on some medication, but we can wean off of it. We can combine it with CCBT. And I work really well with these vets. But Nomvi, no, that was a closed door. Absolutely did did not didn't even say why they, they closed the door. They just refused to acknowledge it. It might be because uh, the veterinarian organization doesn't recognize CCBT, although I haven't reached out to them. But Nomvi is a nonprofit and they do have the ability to I'm not asking them to do all my work for me and to promote it, but they could let some of the veterinarians know that it's an option or if they want to research it more, look into it more. Nope. So speaking of vets, behavioral veterinarians have not been open-minded at all to it. And that's, um, you know, probably more, you know, who is she and what is she doing? And she couldn't possibly know what we don't know. Just not interested. Also, I guess they're having to stay within the limitations or what their industry allows them to do. But they could go to their industry and say, hey, you know, I've had clients because a lot of my clients have had behavioral veterinarians hired them before hiring me. And those clients have gone back to those behavioral veterinarians and said, why don't you know what this person knows? So they could go to the, you know, the organization and say, can you look into this for us? But instead they just ignore it and dismiss it. And of course, this isn't every single behavioral vet ever, but it's my experience, which is enough of them for me to be stating this. And then there are more like celebrity people. I've tried that route as well. So you have Steve Dale, I, I, I don't know. I don't really understand me. He does a lot of glad handing and a lot of talks and gets on shows and, you know, photo ops and all those kinds of things. But he and I were introduced by an organization I quite, I quite like. Well, I you know, like the initial one of the people that's involved, but one of them I really do, Courtney. It's American Association of Pet Parents. So he's he, he wrote blogs for them, as did I. So Courtney introduced us and he just absolutely refuses to acknowledge what I do. He's on lots of boards, uh, Human Animal Bond yeah, Institute, Habi, but it's not Habri, which Research Institute is more popular. It's in the States, or I would say it's bigger. It depends, I guess, on what you know and who you follow. So he's on lots of boards and he makes sure that that board does not reach out to me. 
<laughs> doesn't do anybody any good, but this is somebody that people listen to and they follow. Dr. Kathy Murphy, you might have heard, it's, it's on my link tree. I spoke at the Animal Behavior Society conference and also at a couple different conferences and also in one of my podcast episodes earlier, I talk about Dr. Kathy Murphy because I took her course on life stages and brain development during life stages of a dog and afterwards I got a hold of her because we just really talk the same way. We have a lot of the same views, a lot of the same experiences. I really agree with everything that she's saying. Her expertise of brain development during the adolescent stage really supported why my method was effective, is effective, when other methods are not. And she even talks about the challenges during the adolescent stage. When I got a hold of her, she said she just didn't have time. I'm not exactly sure what she doesn't have time for, you know, because she's, she's giving these talks and she's, I, I even see on, on social media that a lot of trainers have taken her courses and they're saying what she's saying. You just have to be patient during the adolescent stage. You have to wait. You have to continue with positive reinforcement training. This is killing dogs. This is causing dogs to be euthanized, to be surrendered, to be abused, for people to go to the dark side. Dr. Kathy Murphy actually admits that there's these problems, but she really doesn't have any solutions, and this is highly unfortunate. I've also reached out to some scientists. Dr. Alexandra Horowitz, who's extremely renowned in her industry and well-known for dog cognition, when I reached out to her, she said that her lab was too small. Um, they don't really take on these new, larger theories. She, she, she wasn't rude. She got back, which was nice, but she's really just doing canine enrichment. That's that's like a lot of the universities. Again, they're not willing to leave that shallow end waiting pool. Uh, what they know, what they're comfortable with, canine enrichment. They, they don't really seem to be... They're studying cognition and how dogs can think cognitively, but they're not putting it into any good use. They're not saying, hey, what are we going to do with this? And how is it helping dogs? And how is it helping people? And apparently... That's not their goal. Another scientist is Karen of the Dog Rehoming Project. I thought this was really, really a good connection. The Dog Rehoming Project, they do scientific studies uh, and talking to rescues, although they had a hard time connecting with them, and I'm not surprised because really all they're doing is positive reinforcement training. That's all they have. Their advice that they're providing is what a lot of rescues are already doing. They're trying to get some stats, which is good. Always good to get stats from these rescues on where they're pain points are and their challenges. Karen wasn't interested. She has a, a trainer who said, oh, well, you know, Billy's just taking advantage of a unregulated system. And within this, she can just apply her method whenever she feels like it, which I thought was quite funny because as we know, if anyone who's listened to my podcast, there is no regulatory body for me to take my method to. I And I explained this to Karen. I said, applying it hands-on to hundreds of clients per year for over a decade says something. It means that that is how you scientifically prove a methodology. And how's it going with that project? Well, not great, she said. <laughs> so she still wasn't interested d despite you know, her need to provide rescues with something different than what they're currently doing and provide pet parents with something that will decrease surrender to these rescues. But no, I, d I don't know if it's that it was just all too new and too big. And, and also, we have to remember that the goal of most scientists is to simply get published in journals. That's what they want. And actually, that is also Naomi Harvey, who I've dedicated a whole entire podcast to her scientific study and also talk about in my Animal Behavior Society conference presentation and 
Animal Science and Veterinarian Medicine Conference presentation as well, both which were in 2022. And they're on my link tree, Upward Dogology. So let's talk about people that are at regular summits. These, this information never changes. You know, the Ian Dunbars and the positive reinforcement trainers and people from Lima and uh, people who sort of act like they have these new methods and, and new ways of doing things. They, they do have new mindsets, I will say. They're, they're saying we have to recognize the emotional intelligence of dogs. We have to allow them to have options. We have to allow them to, to think and to be themselves and they're autonomous animals with their own personalities. Great, great, great. This is all great. But when they go back to it, it's just positive reinforcement training. So these people who speak at summits, they rely on new people coming in. They're not changing their information. They, again, they somewhat do. And they somewhat progress, but it's usually just more to promote themselves and to ensure, once again, like the fear-free movement does, gets very, you know, everything has to be positive reinforcement training. If it's not, it's wrong. And where that started with the fear-free movement was to simply prevent people from applying negative methods, which is good. But they're also preventing people from being comfortable and confident with exploring new methods. That is killing dogs. And then there's ones that just simply don't get back. Humane Canada, SPCA, Humane Society. Of course, again, these are not required to take on anything new, but they certainly act like they do. And they certainly use the word collaborate and progressive and in the better interest of the animals are common terms that they use on their website. I have clients who are lawyers that are friends or at least good colleagues with lawyers that are on the board of directors for these organizations. They have adopted from these organizations. They would return their dogs if it wasn't for me. They they tell these people on, on the board that they worked with me and these people on the board just don't care. They're veterinarians, they're professionals. They, I've, nope, don't care. Humane Canada just simply doesn't get back. I'm not sure what they're all about. Animal Justice Academy. So now we're getting into more animal welfare, which I have to say, I, I I do get a lot of positive response from animal welfare. I do like it, but the larger organizations, I started out really well with animal justice. Actually, it's lawyers, and I like a lot of what they do. And admittedly, it is a lot of farm um, or wildlife. So upon talking to the woman who runs the Animal Justice Academy, she said that they do focus mostly on farm because dogs just aren't treated as poorly as these other animals. Of course, she's talking to somebody who has spent their entire life learning about the horrific lives of dogs and what happens to them and the abuse, but that didn't seem to connect with her, nor did she seem interested to hear about it. And when they are doing something related to dogs or one of their yearly conferences where they feel they should include dogs, they just call upon Humane Society or SPCA, someone like that to speak, or a veterinarian that's part of that same organization and, and group to speak. And it's interesting because a lot of people from a lot of their members and followers I'm friends with and, and they question, you know, why are we listening to people from Humane Society and SPCA when they have a lot of problems in their own system? They're killing dogs. They're keeping dogs in little cages. They're, they, they're not progressive. They've been the same way. I, I can't answer that. I don't know. I've, I've tried to reach out and be able to speak at some of these so that they're getting different viewpoints and different solutions and options and it doesn't seem to be what they want so i've somewhat faded out from those organizations pijack canada again it's an it's a not-for-profit 
they provide infos and info and uh, tools to people working with animals and, and professionals in the industry. I reached out to them a while ago, never heard back. Might do that again. Most recently, this is a really important one to me, actually. I I was, as you know, I spoke at the Animal Behavior Society conference. And, and Animal Behavior Society is the organization that has the largest journal on scientific studies. So to be a part of their organization and to be accepted as a speaker at their yearly conference was really, I was really appreciative of that and really honored and really impressed that they were open-minded. And I made some great connections, speaking at some universities, all of the, a lot of them, it's very academia oriented. So a lot of them were interested in me speaking at the university at this upcoming year. So I'm happy about that. So I reached out to a man named James Hobb, which is funny because when I published my book, a couple years ago, I actually sent it to him on recommendation from a man who deals a lot with child trauma and he uses CBT and he's a big fan of CBT and he'll be the first to say what I do is absolutely not counter conditioning. In fact, it's the opposite of counter conditioning. And I did reach out to James Hyde. Like I said, I sent him my book and he got back and he just said that he wasn't really doing animal behavior anymore. He was sort of moving over to dogs in the courtroom. Okay. Well, lo and behold, as it turns out, he is part of Animal Behavior Society. He actually heads a subsidiary part of it, which is CAAB, Certified Applied Animal Behavior. People who have that certification, they have to have a PhD or, you know, be a veterinarian, this type of thing, PhD in animal science or something of that kind. It's not a course or a program. It simply takes the information on what people have accomplished, professionals in the field, and they do have requirements. And if it meets those requirements, they provide them with the certification and it's the highest certification that professionals can receive. So I reached out to him, not so much to have the, the, the program teach what I do or anything like that, but more to recognize it, to learn about it, to explore it, to connect me with behavioral veterinarians or people who might be interested in further learning and exploring animal behavior since that's what they're all about. He did get back. We did have a few emails back and forth of which he just started out politely dismissing what I do or not seeing the connection. And then as I got back and kept explaining and <laughs> he finally just closed the conversation down with saying that he and his team had researched what I'm, what I've done and they feel it's just counter conditioning and that I would have to go get it scientifically proven that any reputable organization would not take on what I do because it just isn't solidified yet. I find this incredibly unprofessional and I think it's a cop out. It's also unethical and immoral to say that he studied what I've done when he hasn't even spoken with me, hasn't researched through me, hasn't talked to me at all. So really he's just going on the basic information that is out there to the general public. Uh, even the, the conferences that I speak at, I talk more about why it's important and why it is effective. And I refer back to Dr. Kathy Murphy and her studies and some other scientific studies and psychology. I don't talk, I don't teach CCBT on those platforms. I don't teach it anywhere. So he wouldn't have this information. So when he's talking about other organizations being reputable, perhaps he might want to look at what he himself did. Getting back to animal welfare which although in my mind, all of these are animal welfare, all of these organizations should be working in the better interest of animal welfare. Animal welfare organizations 
more so people interested in animal welfare do support me. And there are trainers. I, I must say that when I talk about these organizations, I'm not talking about every single person involved in them. I'm not talking about every single trainer. There's trainers that reach out to me that are interested. But they know the fear-free movement would, at this point, not approve of it. And I think that the fear-free movement puts the fear of God into these people that you, you just can't. You can't do that or we're going to revoke your certification. Which is interesting because a lot of them, when the basic conditioning methods don't work, will resort to these aversive tools and methods and negative ones because they don't know what else to do. So it would really behoove the fear-free movement in Lima to learn what I do and to work together and to provide trainers with this information, it would actually reach all of our mutual goals. I can't say I've specifically reached out to them, but they do know I'm around. They do know I'm here and I haven't seen them reach out to me. So I do like going down the road of animal welfare, but again, these are, once you start getting into too big of the organizations, sometimes they just don't see the connection and perhaps that's my fault for not making it more clear. So I will continue to do that. So moving forward, what am I going to do now that I've exhausted all these resources? What am I going to do? My press kit and portfolio is large, extensive, and impressive. And I am so grateful for people like Mark Beckoff, who did a story on me in Psychology Today magazine, LA Tribune with Ignite Your Essence. I was on Roku TV places where I was able to present to veterinarians and to scientists. I'm super grateful on all that and, and honored to have the, the people support me that are supporting me, all the podcasts I was on and radio, blogs, people who have blogs. They're great. absolutely. And, and I'm on podcasts that aren't even animal related. They're leadership, making a difference, moving forward, women, women entrepreneurs, passionpreneurship. It's amazing because this is what people want. People want to be able to help. They want to be able to make a difference, use the skills that they have to, to benefit, make the world a better place, to learn, to grow, to educate. I looked into some of these courses on leadership and change, and I started to research master's programs and PhDs. I, I don't have my master's, but I reach research PhD programs anyway. I have a BA. And I found this most amazing program. It's at Antioch University in the States. It's 100% virtual. It's the Graduate School of Leadership and Change. And it's a PhD, like I said, a PhD program. I applied. This was extremely time-consuming to apply. It was very intensive because I don't have my master's. So I had to prove that the work that I've done and accomplished throughout my journey is equivalent or better than equivalent to a master's. And I was accepted. I, I just couldn't believe it. I was so honored that they recognize my accomplishments, what, what I've contributed, what I've learned, what I've done and developed and created. I, ah, it was just so amazing. I just absolutely love the school. I'm so excited. It starts in August and it is not, again, animal related. It is, like I said, School of Leadership and Change. So it's people with different skill sets in different industries. We all have worked in our industry. We all have to be accomplished and know our industry well, know our product well or our skill set. We have to have shown already to be leaders and to create change. I will be learning from people and working with people who are not only animal related, 
it's social justice. The motto of this school is uniting passion and purpose. I mean, I mean, right there, I was sold. Yeah, that's just so amazing. It is a project-driven, not course-driven program. So we're going to be working together on the same projects, but each bringing our own areas of expertise together. I will still continue, obviously, to have clients and to work with people and to continue to spread awareness on CCBT and make connections. And I feel that this will not only open doors for me, but will give me my own open door that those people will want to walk through. Instead of me banging on their door, I'm going to have this big open door and let's just see who decides to walk through it. I'm really eager to share my extensive knowledge and to learn from others. Right now, the industry, as I've been saying throughout this podcast, is stagnant. It's transactional, not transformational. I believe there's people within these organizations that know they need change. It's challenging to do that in these industries that are developed and have lived and survived off of not changing. What people are looking for is change. They're looking for leaders that can create this change. And even if we don't change those systems or those organizations, we can just simply create our own that overrun them. They have to be just overrun by better solutions, better systems, better ways of doing things. And then they can just step aside or burn out or fade away however they choose to do that. But that is, that is my goal because the animals are depending on us, not just dogs. So thank you for all your support. Thank you for listening to this. It wasn't easy for me to talk about this. I don't like to come across as complaining, but I think people need to know it. I think they, they need to know. And this is only part of my efforts and what I've done. It's just a minimal part, but you can imagine how much time and effort and work it takes to reach out to these organizations every single day. Who next? What next? So I, I really hope that, that you realize that it is important to me and I am continuing to fight for the animals and provide this information to the people who are looking to it. I am coming out also with a book in 2023. It's a memoir. It's called My Dog Fight. So please continue to listen to this podcast. Oh, and I'm also going to be on another podcast. It's it's a great It's a whole entire group of podcasts and radio shows. It's called All About Animals Radio. Please find them on social media. I was asked to be one of their hosts, and I'm honored. So please stay in touch with everything that I'm doing on Facebook, Upward Dogology, Twitter, Upward Dogology, LinkedIn. I'm Billy Groom. And as always, I appreciate your feedback and questions. Have a wonderful, wonderful 2023. I hope it's inspirational, motivating, peaceful, and fulfills you with all your expectations. Enjoy your learning journey.